I'm Dan Bardell. Welcome to 1874, the podcast that will bring you the definitive word on Aston Villa Football Club every single week. Today, I'm joined by Martin Lawrence, the head of content from whoscored.com and conveniently a massive Aston Villa fan. Hello, Martin. Hello, Dan. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for coming, mate. Appreciate it. Now, just, just tell everyone how you became an Aston Villa fan. Well, it's through my eldest brother, really. It's not like a... It is a family link, but not a local link. Uh, he basically wanted to support the next team that he saw beat Manchester United, who basically all his mates supported Manchester United, and that happened to be Villa. And he's uh, he's still a Villa fan, but not so much. I probably ran away with it a bit too much. To <laughs> but yeah, it, it felt nice to be a bit different Essex Essex boy supporting Aston Villa. Any regrets? Plenty. But, Plenty. Uh, yeah. <laughs> was that the 94 Cup final? Yeah, that, yeah, that was, yeah, yeah. That was the first team he saw beat Man U. I know quite a lot of people who ended up supporting Villa off the back of that 1994 Cup yeah. final. So, unfortunately, Martin, it's not happened too many times since Dean Smith's been in charge at Villa Park, but you, you're coming here off the back of a heavy, heavy defeat. Yeah. Taught a bit of a lesson on Sunday, weren't we? We were. It was the first game, I think, all season where I thought we were outplayed for the vast majority of the game, if not the whole game. Obviously, the Man City game, you're, you're expecting that and you're yeah. expecting a defensive performance, but... I didn't expect that against Leicester, and we didn't do a, didn't put in a defensive performance. But perhaps we should have been a bit more, bit more conscious of that side of the game. Yeah, we will crack on with the Leicester game. There's plenty coming up for you in 1874, the Aston Villa podcast. So we will go over that Leicester game where Jamie Vardy and company certainly did have a party. We're going to go through the makeup of the Villa midfield as well. Martin and I have got some feelings on that. We've got to talk about Villa's big number nine, Wesley, and just the lack of depth in Villa's striking department in general. We'll talk about the legend, Ron Saunders, who unfortunately passed away last week as well. Great tribute to him at Villa Park on Sunday. And as ever, the regular feature, the Villa Vault. That Leicester game, when, when I look back over the season so far, I think discounting the Wolves game where I thought we were pretty abhorrent, mm. to be honest, we were pretty yeah. terrible. And the second half of the Leicester game, because I thought we, we were okay in the first half. Every other game this season, I've kind of felt like, you, you know when we were last in the Premier League and you're watching all the other teams and you're thinking, oh, these are way better than us. Yeah. I've not had that feeling no. too too many times other than the games I've mentioned this season. So in the first half, I thought we competed well, but in the second half, Leicester did just show what a great outfit they are. Yeah, no, you're right. We haven't looked out of our depth at all in the Premier League, which is a which is a really promising thing. I don't think anyone expected that we would, any Villa fans expected that we would. But yeah, you're right. That was probably the first game this season where I've been a bit worried. Yeah, we just uh, didn't look at the pace really and... Uh, I think the midfield balance, like you said, we'll come on to later, is is a problem now as well as Wesley. So yeah, it's it's a tough one to take, but obviously a tough run of fixtures. Have to sort of get out of that. I think if you'd said we'll be outside of the relegation yeah. zone after those three games, you're relatively happy. Yeah, I've heard a few people say that. Do you think we're going to obviously coming on to the makeup of Villa's midfield? But do you think Leicester's system? actually caught us a little bit off guard on Sunday because they, they've not played that narrow diamond. I, I don't think they've played that all season or under Rodgers mm. at all. When I saw their team, I expected Iganacho to, to line up from, from the from the wing and Madison to play left-hand side. But actually, they played two strikers and Madison just wreaked havoc playing as a yeah. number 10, popping up everywhere on, on the field. Villa won't have prepared for that, no. will they? So you look at the score and we, we've lost 4-1, but the way Leicester have played and the, the way they've operated, Villa kind of expected that. I think yeah, you're right. They caught us off guard definitely, and I think when when Villa fans will have seen that lineup, the Leicester lineup, they'd probably been quite encouraged. Yeah. Um, but I think it was yeah maybe a case of we haven't we hadn't planned for that, and if there's something 
that sort of maybe a, a criticism of Dean Smith. You know how Villa are going to play. Yeah, it doesn't, every week. it doesn't change. Uh, and that that little tweak from Leicester just maybe showed a bit of, bit of class from Brendan Rodgers, who's obviously doing a great job. Do you think there was a? I mean, I'm putting you on the spot big time here. Do you think there was a reason he decided to do that against Villa? What, what advantage do you think he, he got from doing that? Obviously, he did get advantages because they won four one. Yeah, I'm not really sure because they usually play like a four one four one. Yeah, um, and maybe just pushing pushing Madison that bit higher. He'd probably noticed that teams are getting in behind Villa's midfield quite a lot, and if they can get Madison in that in that space between midfield and defence, then he'll then he'll cause problems, and he did. And uh, just having the extra striker to occupy the defenders, probably they weren't ready for that. So maybe it was just a psychological thing, just to try and try and spring a surprise, and it certainly certainly worked. Because the crowded midfield as well, obviously, when you play a narrow diamond, you, you're going to end up suffocating in the middle of the park a little bit. They kind of indeed. He, kind of suffocated Grealish he couldn't really get into the areas that he wanted to get into he, he's a good player indeed yeah and I think what Leicester can rely on we don't want this to be a Leicester pod no no, yeah, no I think you, what, you've got to give him respect yeah what, what Leicester can rely on are two exceptional fullbacks oh. Gen- genuinely two of the best fullbacks in the league so you, they maybe didn't think they needed to offer quite as much as protection because where Grealish is nominally playing on the left he's coming in in field he doesn't stay on the left no and same with El Ghazi to an extent but maybe he's not he's not Huge threat. You'd, you'd fancied Chilwell to do a job on him, and he did really. Uh, so they probably didn't feel like they needed that protection to the fullbacks, and they could bomb on as well. And it, yeah, it worked perfectly for them. And yeah, just to Villa's demise, really. Because one of Villa's success stories this season so far has been Freddie Gilbert, yeah, at, at right back, and El Mahamedi kept his place off the back of what was a decent display yeah. against Chelsea from him. I, I was at that game. I'd say he was probably our best player, Elmo, in that game at Stamford Bridge, but. Against the teams like Leicester, you, with hindsight, you probably need to be playing your strongest team, and yeah. Gilbert's in that strongest team, and 100%. Elmo isn't. Yeah, hundred percent. And, and crucially, Gilbert's one of the only players in Villa's strongest team with a bit of pace about. Yeah. Him. And as soon as, as soon as Mings went off, obviously Mings is another player who's, who's quick. Mings went off. Engels came on. I like Engels, but he's not fast. No. You, when you've got target Engels, El Mahamedi, Conza's relatively quick. Yeah, but when you've got three of those four up against Jamie Vardy and Co. I think that spells trouble. So I sympathise with Dean Smith because he wanted to reward El Mohamedy for what you say was a very, very good performance. Yeah. But I think it was just one of those where he needed to think of think of the opponent and think of it tactically, and I'm, I'm not sure he did that with the right-back choice. Yeah, I think you, you make a valid point there. He's trying to send out the right messages to the, to mm-hmm. the squad. Obviously, it is a squad game. Villa have got people who haven't been playing that they'll need over the Christmas period. I mean, it's going to be Engels and concert for the foreseeable at centre-back. Well, it looks like Tyrone Mings might be out till the new year with the injury. What did you make of that whole situation with Mings? Because it was a real odd one, wasn't it, with him going off looking like he was finished and then coming back on and inevitably when he's come back on we concede and he ends up going off anyway. What did you make of that? You get a lot of players who are like, I'll play on, I'll play on, they're fine. To be fair, most players are like that and Tyron Mings is always going to be like that because he's sure of himself. But that's when the medical staff in particular have to step in and say... You've strained your hamstring here. You don't you don't come back from that instantly. No. Even if you recover from it in that game, it's going to take you 20 minutes and you can't do that as a centre-back against Jamie Vardy. No, he's not the ideal it's opponent not, it's for that. Not, it's not going to work. It, it was obvious he was going to go off and he should have got, no doubt he should have gone off straight away. And and I think the medical staff had to had to say that to Dean Smith, but Dean Smith should have seen that as well. Uh, so that that was a big mistake. Do you think it's one of them where the player's a bit more sure of himself than the medical staff, perhaps? Yeah. I mean, I don't know the Villa medical staff yeah. and what their personalities are like, but it, it did smack of Mings saying, yeah. look, I'm, I'm OK, but 
he's never had a hamstring injury before. He never had a muscle injury before, according to Dean Smith. So how does he know? Yeah, he's going to be okay. Well, he's a he's a big character, big leader in the dressing room, isn't he? So I think you're right. He's got that player power there, and you'd you'd fancy Grealish to do the same. Probably say I'll stay on, and they'll probably give him give him five minutes. And it, it was just it was just a poor choice. Um, not saying that's why we lost the game. But I honestly think we probably lost the game anyway. But it wasn't ideal. It did affect the first goal, and uh, yeah, it's it's a shame. Uh, something to look back on as a as a as a mistake for sure. I mean, Vardy's form at the moment. It, even when he messes up, he still ends up scoring. Yeah. He, he falls yeah. over, the whole end's laughing, and I mean, he still yeah. ends up putting the ball in the in, in the back of the net. But at that point, I did feel Villa was still still in the game. I felt like we'd been okay. Al Ghazi's missed Mr. Sitter at nil nil. He's hit the bar. With all due respect to him, he should probably put that away. But we've got this knack at the moment of conceding goals at bad times, and then. Just before half time, just when you think, Let, let's make sure we go in 1 0. Mm. Inevitably, again, we don't. Mm-hmm. We go 2 0 down, and it's another goal from a cross. And crosses at the moment are our downfall. Yeah, we're not looking strong. And obviously, that's where you, you'd want Mings on the pitch, I suppose. That he's got that, yeah, that sort of aerial presence. But um, yeah, it wasn't ideal timing. But again, I think it was, it was another game, back to back games, where maybe we got a goal that we didn't quite deserve just before half time. Yeah. And should have kicked on from there. And obviously, when you concede. Three minutes after the oh. after the break, you're done. You you are done because against Leicester, they're the perfect counter attack team. You have to open up, and it's almost impossible from there. Yeah, because we got ourselves back right in half time. Grealish, I know he took a deflection, but he took his goal really well. He's in he's in a great run of form at the moment. Great run of productivity as well. He's picking up got a goal or an assist every week, pretty much at the moment. But same as the Chelsea game, after half time. I mean, to be fair, we had. A, I know it sounds stupid, but we had a good three minutes. Before Leicester scored, we were, we were really on top. We, yeah. we looked like we came out and get, give it a good go. Looked like we'd had a bit of a rollicking from the manager. And I think it's pretty much the same time Mason Mount scored the winner for Chelsea. Yeah. We conceded a pivotal goal straight after half time, 48 minutes. Yeah. It's a corner, another, yeah. like, it's set pieces and crosses at the moment. We just don't seem to be able to deal with them. I don't feel as if our defending in general play is, is that bad. You don't ever look at a team and think, oh, we're all over the place here. Hmm. It's those fine margins in the Premier League. Yeah. Well, what I would say on, on Grealish, uh, even though he hasn't played poorly in those games, he's played not not his best, but he's done well. He's got a goal, obviously. I'd say it's been a bit of a bad week for him, just in the fact that he's come up against Mason Mount and James oh, yeah. Madison. First half against Chelsea, I thought it was going perfectly for him because I thought Grealish started that game well yeah. and Mount was struggling first half. And I think that was looking good for him. And then Mount scores a really, really good goal picks up his confidence, plays well second half and probably comes out on top in that duel of t- in terms of England prospects. And then you play Madison, Grealish scores, but I think most people would admit that Madison was the better player. Got a couple of assists, didn't he, Madison? Exactly. So not a great week for Jack Grealish, even though he didn't play particularly poorly himself. Let's come on to the midfield now, because obviously Grealish is part of that midfield. Yeah. I think he actually plays better when Harahan's on, on the pitch. Because Harahan will drift out to, to the left when yeah. Grealish comes inside, and with Douglas mm-hmm. Luiz playing that role, he doesn't do the same things no. that Harahan does off the ball defensively and, and offensively. We were talking yesterday. Obviously, we knew we were doing this podcast about the makeup of Villa's midfield at the moment, and, and we think that that's why we're struggling at the moment. We think that's why we're shipping goals. We're not actually putting it down to the defence. We we think it's the way the midfield's set up. Yeah, we get. There's no doubt we get ahead of the ball way too much, and it's it's a weird one because obviously marvelous is undoubtedly our best defensive midfielder and our most defensive-minded midfielder. But I feel like when he plays, we're almost more open because McGinn and whether it's Harahan or or uh, Louise, maybe they just feel a bit too confident that they've got 
marvellous there. Yeah. They, they just push up a little bit more, like that extra yard or whatever, and then the ball's coming back at marvellous and he's having to do the job of two or three players rather than one. Uh, so, yeah, I looked into the stats and actually Villa do concede more shots, more goals when marvellous plays, which is yeah, it's not what you'd expect. No. I, I know he's, he's started games against the bigger teams, but he's also started every game that we've played against teams that have had a man sent off as well so that sort of counteracts that yeah so you wouldn't expect to concede more goals and marvelous plays and i think i think it's just a mentality thing from from the other midfielders they feel a bit too confident maybe to bomb on we just need to maybe being a bit naive i think mcginn maybe in particular in that sense positionally i think he's been a bit lacking recently and he looks tired. He does look tired. I mean, I've advocated on social media that I think he might need a little bit of a rest. He, he sat a couple of games out last season, the championship, albeit initially through picking up too many yellow cards and getting suspended. But when he came back, yeah. he came back with a bang. Yeah. He was he was scoring goals every week. He was straight straight back in there and he looked refreshed. Yes. At the moment, he looks like he's running on yeah. empty. Well, he's played, he's played every single minute in the Premier League. Yeah. And that's, that's even at this. I know we're not full way through the season, but that's a tough thing to do. And when internationals you, when, as exactly, well. Exactly, he's starting every game for Scotland. He's played played every minute, uh, and he just, he just looks tired, and that's understandable. And I would have thought that it would have been a wiser move to rest him in a game that's a free hit Leicester. against yeah a Leicester or a Chelsea. Rest him in one of those games, and then you've got winnable games with John McGinn at his best. Just hindsight's a wonderful thing. Yeah. But I think Villa might regret that. Even like, obviously Grealish had the injury, so he's had a sort of a rest in that in that aspect. But Mings, he played nearly every minute, and he pulled up obviously. Yeah. And the other I one mean, is obviously uh, the player who played the second most minutes behind McGinn is Wesley, and he undoubtedly needs a rest. He gets a lot of stick, but pretty much got to play every minute. And when you're not, no you've got no confidence. It's not ideal. Your your, your confidence is just going to get lower and lower, knowing that you the pressure is on you solely for a new player in a new league and it's uh, it's not an ideal situation. Yeah, because you talk about the number of games Grealish has played but he hasn't had, any, he hasn't had anything on the international break. Exactly, He'll yeah. have been on holiday, re- yeah. recharge the batteries and now, I think you're right, busy Christmas period at some point, McGinn can't play every game. No. It's just, I mean, I'm saying that he probably will now but feasibly you'd think he can't keep playing every minute of every game so he's going to have to be rested and I think you're right, Leicester might have been the time to do that. You've, you've got Connor chomping at the bit mm-hmm. to, to come into the team. Go back to that the setup in midfield. I don't know whether I think I'm probably alone here because I haven't seen this put anywhere else on social media or other Villa avenues. But I actually think we've got a proper defensive midfielder. I don't think Nakamba is a defensive midfielder to me. I think he's a bit more restricted when he's there. I think if you had him playing in front of a proper defensive midfielder, mm-hmm. he could be a bit more aggressive, push higher up, and win the ball back higher up the okay. pitch a little bit like McGinn does at, at yeah. times. Louise definitely, for me, isn't a, isn't a defensive midfielder. No. I've not quite worked out what Douglas Louise is yet because, to me, he's not quick enough going backwards. When Villa have got to do the dirty and they've got to defend, he's barely breaking into a jog. But when, when he thinks he might be able to get in the box and, and score a goal, mm. suddenly he's, he's yeah. got the burners on and he can yeah. sprint and he's got some energy. Because mm. I don't know whether he's a, a defensive midfielder, an attacking yeah. midfielder. and I, I'm, I've not worked out what, what he is at the moment. And I think with Harahan's productivity and the way Grealish plays better when, when he's there, for me... He's got to be a starter in that midfield. Yeah. If Harahan was Brazilian and sat on the bench with his numbers, I think they'd be up all. Mm. Well, I think you might be right. In, in the case of your, your defensive midfielder doesn't necessarily have to be your deepest lying midfielder. If you look at Chelsea, you look at Kante, he's obviously the obvious one. Yeah. And they have Jorginho sitting deeper. And I don't, I don't want yeah. to compare Villa players to Chelsea players, That'd but Harahan could do that role. He could do that Jorginho role and dictate the play because 
Harahan is our best passer of the ball. He is. He doesn't always play a glamour pass, but he keeps the ball. Yeah. Uh, and marvellous, not so much. Uh, he wins the ball very, very well, and he's got good energy. But yeah, that might be a case where maybe he shifts into one of the wider midfield roles, and and you play a you play a register sort of player in the in the hole. This is where we need a bit more flexibility because. When he has played Louise and the camper together, I thought he might play with two pivots yeah. and play McGinn perhaps more as a ten with Grealish drifting around from the left doing what he wants. But that isn't what isn't what's happened, and mm-hmm. we don't seem to have that plan B tactically. And you do think in the Premier League, if you're going to be, I'm not even saying successful, but if you're going to not be in trouble, I think you need to have a couple of plans. I mean, look at Leicester; they've changed formation from from nowhere mm-hmm. on Sunday, and they've got success out of it. They've obviously that's something they've worked on. I think you've got to be working on on different systems. We've got an array of centre backs. Yeah, you don't know whether three at the back might be something we, mm-hmm. we could have tried at some point. I would say that would suit Gilbert and Target down to the ground. I think they're proper wing backs. So you do need to have a bit more in your armoury. And yeah, we're so rigid four three three every single game, was, and it has been since Smith came in. Yeah, I was convinced we'd play a four two three one against Leicester just because. We kind of went to that when Louise came on against Chelsea, and to be fair, in that game he did have an impact. Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, he did. He did uh, we got a bit more of a modicum of control in that game, uh, so I thought we would go to a two sort of a double pivot there. So I was surprised when we didn't, uh, especially because, like you say, that it's it's difficult to know what Douglas Louise's position is. I agree with that. Whether trying him in a two might get more out of him. It's, it's worth trying. Like you say, a back three is also a system that does suit our players. There's, there's no doubt about that. Our wingers aren't the best. Uh, you might get pushed push more up in support of Wesley in central areas because at the moment everything's bouncing off him to no one, really, and it's coming back straight back. And that's that's one of the big issues defensively is starting from the front because Wesley, he's getting too much stick for my liking, but he doesn't hold the ball up well or he's not holding the ball up well at the moment. Yeah. Uh, and that is a big problem because teams are coming back onto us too quickly. We've Villa have conceded the most shots in the Premier League by a distance. I think it's 19 point something and the next is 16 or 17 point something, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it is quite no, it significant. Is. Uh, and we're second bottom uh, in Europe's top five leagues as well, just behind Lecce in terms of shots conceded. So I don't think that any Villa fans really disappointed with the season so far, but that is a big, big problem. That's not... That's not something we can overlook for much longer because uh, you can't concede that many shots and get away with it. You just can't. Tom Heaton's starting to play better and better. Had a lot of saves on Sunday, didn't we? We've needed him to. He was excellent against Chelsea and good again against Leicester. So uh, we need to offer him more protection. Yeah, he's showing his value now, isn't he? And showing that we—we I was one of those people in the summer that thought, "I'll give give Jed Steer a chance. Come on, he's—he's got us promoted. He's saved those penalties in the in the playoff semi final." But Heaton showing his class for me. one of the best keepers in the Premier League. Yeah, well, certainly one of the most reliable. I know he made that error against Bournemouth on his home debut. Yeah. But, um Since then, he's not really put put foot wrong from what I can remember. No, he's uh, solid. He makes better saves than you'd expect him to make as well because he's, he's not he's not the tallest. No. Um, but he's very agile, and yeah, he's been a, been an excellent signing. Sadly, one of the few Villa players that's actually older than me in, in the <laughs> in the squad. Villa Vault, I don't know whether you know about this this feature, Martin. It's we just pick up a random moment from, <laughs> from Villa's past. It's quite it's a, it's a horrible story, but actually it turned out to be quite
quite quite a nice story. So on Sunday the 13th of December 1998, I think we could be coming up to that kind of time, yeah. that time of year now, Villa were getting taught an absolute lesson by, by Wenger's Arsenal. They were, they were 2-0 down at half-time. Dennis Bergkamp had put on a masterclass. And quite frankly, I remember sitting there just thinking, I want to go home. <laughs> this is going to be a, a long day. And Villa 2-0 down, crowd, crowd a bit restless. And they put on some kind of some kind of show. So basically, it was just uh, parachuting Santas coming down from, coming down from planes, and it went horribly wrong. And this this one guy, um, Nigel Rogoff, ended ended up coming down, and he and he hit the roof. And I can re- remember the sound like you wouldn't expect to be able to hear something like that at a football stadium, yeah. but you could hear it. And he hit the roof, landed down on onto the pitch, and was just obviously. Yeah, I've seen the video. Motionless on the floor, and yeah. it's really worrying. And then yeah. you you start to think. Well, first of all, you're worried for this for this guy's health, and then you start to think, "Oh, this game's going to get mm. going to get cancelled. I'm I'm going to get to go home." And half time was about half an hour long, I think. What while they sorted it all, all out, he, he obviously went off and got treatment. Actually, ended up having uh, having one of his legs amputated. There's a story in John Gregory's book where he was about to make a substitution, but because of the delay, he didn't take Julian Jochim off like he was going to. He he bought ended up bringing Stan Collymore on for Gareth Barry, who was playing in defence mm-hmm. at the time. I mean, John Gregory liked a three at the back and just went for it. Yeah, and we ended up winning the game three two. And it was just around Christmas time. Obviously, kids probably traumatised. You've seen Santa lying yeah. motionless <laughs> yeah. on the floor, but Villa two 0 down like they were at the weekend to Leicester. But but they go on and win the game. But the, the real interesting thing from that story is he actually ended up marrying the nurse, Sarah, who cared for him, and they now oh, wow. are together and have twins together and he's spent his whole life doing charity work. And I just think it's a horrible, horrible story, but something really nice yeah, really has ended end. up wow. coming, coming out of that. Sort of quite, quite a nice yeah. Christmas tale. It is, yeah. <laughs> so you, you've touched on Wesley yeah. a couple of times. I mean, from, from doing this podcast so far, I'm, I'm starting to worry. I'm starting yeah. to think that we're not set up well at all yeah. anywhere. But the, the big man, Wesley, you, you say you feel sorry for him. There'll be people that, well, I mean, I, I agree with you for what it's worth, but there'll be people that will be listening to this. And I say, well, why do you feel sorry for him? He, he's, he's not good enough. He, he's not doing enough. What, what would you say to those people? Well, when he signed, he's a 22-year-old kid, come from Belgium. Uh, yeah, I know he's played Champions League, I think. I think or, he's played Champions League. Yeah, last but, um, yeah no, no experience at this sort of level. And to go into a team... I think even he would have thought Villa would sign another striker. To go into a team and have no competition and have to carry the can every single week when you're not playing well, when you're the sort of character that he is as well. Like It was known when we signed him, sort of, that he was quite a volatile character. Um, he likes a dust-up, doesn't he? He does, he does. He gets in a few dust-ups. He does. And, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of a, a big burden to carry for, for a young guy who's come into a new league. Like I said, he's played the second most minutes of all Villa players, the fourth most minutes of all strikers in the Premier League. For any new signing, any age, any experience, that's that's a lot to ask. And he's not he's not even being brought off in many games just because there's no there's no alternative or seemingly no alternative. Do you think one of the reasons Dean Smith's not bringing him off at the moment is we've seen we've seen in the past with an element of Villa fans that when a player's not going well, when a player's going through a tough time, they get taken off. Yeah. If Villa are losing a game, suddenly the ironic cheers come out, the booing. I, th- I think Dean Smith might be protecting him a little bit at the moment. He doesn't want to take him off because he doesn't want to put him through that. Because Villa Park can be a difficult place to yeah. play at times. Do you think that's that's valid? It could be. Yeah, I think it's valid. I think it definitely could be an element of that. Obviously, to be fair, if Keenan Davis was fit, I, I don't think Wesley would be starting at the moment. Do you and think and that's and be in. Yeah, I do personally, and that's quite damning. 
based on the fact that Keenan Davis doesn't have much of a record to back to back that up. But what he does have is a skill set where he holds up the ball and he's excellent at it. He's gent like as soon as he came into the Villa team, there were there were sort of like likenesses with sort of Emil Heskey there straight away. Well, and Adoma, you can see it. Adoma started scoring a lot. Didn't yeah, he? yeah, yeah you could see it. He he holds the ball up so so well, and that's what Wesley's not doing at the moment. And he doesn't score a lot of goals, but Wesley's not scoring a lot of goals at the moment. And at least you'd get that. As much as anything, it would be a positive for the defensive side of the game because the ball wouldn't be coming back. I'm not saying he'd he'd inspire us to score loads more goals because that's not really an issue at the moment. But as much as it sounds odd, I think a different striker would actually help our defensive record at the moment. And it's Keen, interesting. Keenan, Keenan Davis holds the ball up brilliantly well. So you think if he was fit now, I mean, we don't know how far he off is. He's quite quiet, actually, around Keenan yeah. Davis and when he's coming he's back. back running. You well, think he'd be starting now? I do, yeah. I, I, I don't think Smith would be doing that to sort of put off Wesley or anything like that. It would be to encourage him a bit more. He, need, he needs a rest. He went off with Brazil somewhat bemusingly. I'm not really sure how that call-up happens. But, yeah, he, he needs a rest. He's, he's played a lot, a lot of football in a new league that is a lot harder than he's used to. So I would have expected a lot of rotation, maybe... Even if he wasn't starting, he'd be ta- he'd be being taken off. Yeah, uh, and that's not really an option at the moment. You've only got Jonathan Codger. I think we both agree that he's not not up to it. Premier League. He's not for me now. So yeah, I, th- I think I think Davis would be getting a run out. I hope I hope he's back for the sort of Christmas spell. Maybe the maybe the Liverpool game, and he can sort of steer clear of injury and at least provide some competition because that's what we're lacking. I mean, just an alternative, like you said, to give Wesley a rest would probably probably help him. Again, I'm saying about Douglas Louise and not knowing what type of midfielder he is. I still, I feel like that, and I've watched. Obviously, we've we've all watched Wesley play every week, but I kind of feel like I don't know what kind of striker Wesley's. Because early on the Everton, the Everton game when he scored his first goal, he made a lovely run across the, across the mm-hmm. Everton back four, got him behind, nice, nice finished through ball from Hosser. It was a really good goal, and you thought, all oh, right, this is what he's about: a bit of movement, mm-hmm. getting him behind and, and tucking it away in the bottom corner, but. I don't think I've seen him make a run like that no. ever again. No. And that, that's weird. What, why do you think that is? It's confusing. I think it's another one of those one of those confidence things you could see on that night. He was so up for it. And he was getting yeah. in a... He, it, there was a bit of needle there with Yerry Mina, and I think maybe that's what he needs. And he, I feel like he just thought, you know what, I've got the better of these defenders. And I don't think he's thought that again since, really. I think he's been out-muscled at times. He's not as strong as I think Villa fans hoped he, he was. throws himself down to the Exactly, floor. exactly. And yeah, obviously he's lacking a lot of confidence. And yeah, I'm not sure what he is either because a lot of the time you look at you, you sign a big, burly guy, tall guy, and you're like, okay, he's a he's a target man, he's a hold up striker. It's not always the case. No. Romelu Lukaku isn't really that guy. I, I, whenever I watched him, I always thought, well, there were lots of memes and stuff, balls bouncing off him all over the place. He does, he's not a, he's not a hold up striker. That doesn't mean he's a bad striker. No, just different. Maybe Villa haven't. Dean Smith, I mean, this is a worry if it's true, but maybe they just haven't worked out how to utilise him yet. Uh, but it's not how he's being utilised right now, that's for sure. But approaching Christmas, yeah, surely, surely that should, should have got something now. Like there was, a, we're four one down on, on on Sunday ground, pretty empty. There, there was there, Wesley had a chance to shoot, mm. and he, he didn't take it. He, he just laid it off out wide, and I just thought at that point, oh, this guy's confidence is mm. is on the floor now. That, and that, that's no good for us because he's, like you say, he's the only option. You're number nine, your only striker, the guy you bought in 22 million to be your goal scorer, mm. not wanting to have a shot. Yeah. That, that's problems. That spells yeah. trouble for me. 
Yeah. Well, what was the what was that game where he missed the where he missed the sitter when Horahan put it across? Uh, Newcastle when Newcastle, we were turning yeah. up. Yeah. I mean, that would like if that goes in, you might be it might be a different story right now. But especially when you miss a big big chance, that affects you. Because other than that, you can't be like, oh, he's he's missing he's missing sitters. He's not. Nah. He's, that's the worry. He's not getting into he's not getting into yeah, opportunities. He doesn't have a lot of shots. And if you're not having a lot of shots and you're not holding the ball up, there's a problem there. And I'm not writing him off at all. Like I said, I no. think it's harsh people doing that. But um, he needs competition and he needs a rest. As simple as that, really. My thing is, I think I'm probably different to a stereotypical football fan in that when someone's in trouble and they're doing badly, my gut reaction is to protect them. And so I don't want to come on here and hammer people. But when I when I watch Villa, every time one of the midfielders has got the ball or we're in a dangerous position, I look for where Wesley is and he's never where I think he should be or never where you would expect to see a stereotypical striker. He likes to drop deep, but, he, but then to me, he doesn't look like that kind of player to bring others into play. So we, we've got to find a way of getting something something out of him. I mean, I think Villa did want another striker in the summer and it didn't happen for whatever reason. Do you think we'll be getting one in January? I, I would hope so. I would really, really hope so. Uh, I don't think it's a guarantee from from, oh, from the messages coming out of the club, but uh, yeah, I think we need to. Well, you know, um, life's not just about laughing, and uh, football is a serious business. Bad news in in the week. I mean, me and you are actually actually quite young in com- in comparison. But yeah. Aston Villa legend Ron Ron Saunders passed away. Really, really great tribute to him mm-hmm. on on Sunday at Villa Park. I don't know whether you saw the Project B six with with all yeah. the banners. It looked really good. A real, real great tribute. And uh, he was someone that completely turned Villa around, wasn't he? I think he was a hard taskmaster mm-hmm. by all accounts. But he built the most successful Aston Villa team there's ever been. And it's just tragic, and we send our best wishes to to his friends and family. Yeah, I can only sort of echo those sentiments. Really, like you say, I'm a 30 year old guy who wasn't yeah. wasn't born when when he was manager of the club. But obviously, you know the significance of what he did. It, it doesn't, uh, doesn't seem that it's going to happen in our time. If you consider that he he brought Villa up, Villa were a, were a Division Two side when he took the job, and uh, what he achieved in that in that spell was remarkable. I've spent a bit of time with, with with Brian Little in the past and done interviews with Brian Little, and he's got some great stories about Ron Saunders. I think you wouldn't know, know it now, but I think Brian was a bit of a renegade when he, when he was a younger player coming through, and I think him and Ron Saunders used to clash a little bit, but Brian talks about how when he became a manager, actually he didn't realise at the time, but everything Ron Saunders was doing for him was, was for his own good, and he, he'd, he'd wind Brian up, but Brian actually said himself he used a lot of the techniques that Ron used on him. He based a lot of his Villa sides around what Ron Saunders did as well. I just There's just this great story that he told of when the players all had like a, a club suit fitted. It was like made to measure, tailored. And then Brian said he got his and he was like three sizes too big. And he says he's convinced to this day <laughs> that Ron Saunders <laughs> changed his suit measurements, but just, just to wind him up and try and try and teach him a lesson and, and get more out of him. He's, you do still get those characters in football, yeah. but but not like that. I mean, I think when he was manager, I think he was probably still the most ripped person <laughs> of the football club. I think I think he still was down the gym, Ron Saunders. Yeah. Just Villa Alex Ferguson, if mm. you like Ron Saunders in some respects, I think. Yeah, maybe not the ripped part, but no, no. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know yeah. how often Sir Alex. Yeah, no, yeah. The gym. But in terms of the impact he had at a, at a football club, uh, just massive. Um, and yeah, tragic loss. Yeah, well, we wish his family and friends all the best. 
as I say, there's a great piece in The Athletic this week by Brendan McLaughlin, Steve Madley and Michael Bailey, which just basically it gets a bit, a bit of a biography into, into what Ron Saunders did for Aston Villa, so it, it's well worth a read. It's uh, all for play for, Steve. I think so. Do you want to bet against us? And so that was 1874, the weekly podcast dedicated to Aston Villa Football Club. It's one of 11 shows released by The Athletic this week, including the Ornstein and Chapman show, where David Ornstein and Mark Chapman bring you fresh insight into who are the front runners to be the next Arsenal boss. Who do, who do you fancy for that to be, Martin? Next Arsenal yes, boss. Yes, Arsenal boss. I'd like it to be Arteta. I'd like Arteta yeah. to have a go at it, just to have a look, just to have a look at him more than anything. Even if it goes wrong, I wouldn't be, <laughs> it wouldn't bother me. But uh, yeah, I'd like, I'd like them to try something a bit different. Yeah, I'm going to go for Patrick Vieira along a, a, a similar vein. Yeah. So if you want to hear that podcast, you can download that and much more. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Villapod and you'll get a 40% discount. We will return with 1874 next week. Thanks ever so much to Martin for, for joining me. Really good having a conversation with you, mate, and all the very best. Hope you have a good Christmas. You too, mate. Up the villa. Yeah.